निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृत विग्रहम वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तंग्राम कृष्णम शिरसानमाम जननीम सारदाम देवीम राम कृष्णम जगत गुरुम पाद पद्मी तयो श्रुत्वा प्रणमामी मुहुरुमुहु नमस्री यतिराजाय विवेकानंद सूरय सच्चिद सुखस्वरूपाय स्वामीने तापहारिने so the sixth chapter which we were studying we are almost in the concluding portion of the chapter today we will pick up the story which swami vivekananda is describing almost at the end of this chapter the story highlights that how in this life the real education is actually the mastering over our own mind that alone speaks of peace and happiness in this life one who has mastered his mind can alone be happy in this life the misery and happiness as such is not the result of what the situation is there waiting for me outside it's how i react to that situation on that my happiness and misery depends and how i react to that situation that again depends on how much control i have over my mind and that's the real education which swami vivekananda learned from sri ramakrishna that whatever ideas he believed to be true ramakrishna believed to be true narend found that those ideas has actually become a part and parcel of his existence it has actually converted transformed his stimuli response conditioning his reflexes has changed the general reflex of humanity which makes us prone towards drawn towards the senses it almost has become something like reflex we even don't have to take a conscious decision seeing a delicacy we immediately start salivating for ramakrishna narend found that the stimuli response condition has just altered his belief is so strong that belief has totally overhauled his personality and those ideas has become a nervous association they have as if entered his nerve they have been internalized and swami vivekananda felt that that's the real education once we can do that then only we can think of transcending the so called dualities of life and enjoy being alive as in was scripture they say the highest goal of humanity is the attainment of jivan mukti that what happens after death it's all believe yes some must have experience that what you say that near death experience and all but for the majority of us it's a mere belief what happens after death we don't know 
But happiness, why not we make it something a present tense? In our life, we find happiness is always a future tense. A small child is asked by his parents to study hard so that it will get some chance in some selective school and he will be happy. When he is in the selective school or he or she is in the selective school, the parents again just keep the benchmark. You have to get a very good grade in your this high school examination. Then you get the profession with a good stream. There's admission in the good professional streams for your higher academic education uh, in the university. So that's again the benchmark. So the happiness is again being receded, goes to the university and then he finds that he has to get a good job and then he will be happy or she will be happy. Again, the benchmark is something which is in future. And when he has got the good job or she has good, got the good job, now they have to be married, a nice couple. It should be matching to him and then they will be happy. And then the children, the children grows. And when at last we find we get aged, we think of religion. Why? After death, most probably in heaven, we will be happy. So it's always future tense. So we find in Vedanta, that's a tremendous claim has been made that you need not have to keep the happiness as a future tense. While living in present, you can be happy. You can transcend the so-called dualities of life and enjoy the that your existence, being alive, you can enjoy the life. And that's the concept of Jivan Mukti. As Shankaracharya has very nicely defined the goal of life in Viveka Chudamani. Jivan Mukti Sukha Prapti Hetave Janmadharana. The only purpose of this human birth is to enjoy the bliss of liberation while living. Jivan Mukti Sukha Prapti. That's the cause. That's the Hetu. That's the cause of Janmadharana. To take birth as a human being, that's the only purpose. So now let's go to the story which Swami Vivekananda is relating to highlight this idea that how by transcending the so-called uh, the temptations of life, by de de developing a tremendous control over the mind, we can really think of happiness in this life and enjoy the life as a human being. So let's now enter into the story. There was a great sage in India called Vyasa. This Vyasa is known as the author of the Vedanta aphorisms and was a holy man. His father had tried to become a very perfect man and had failed. His grandfather had also tried and failed. His great-grandfather had similarly tried and failed. He himself did not succeed perfectly. But his son Shuka was born perfect. Vyasa taught his son wisdom and after teaching him the knowledge of truth himself, he sent him to the court of King Janaka. He was a great king and was called Janaka Videha. Videha means without a body. So although a king, he had entirely forgotten that he was a body. 
So that's the interesting thing that he is always so much absorbed in the sublime idea of his spiritual identity. That the consciousness that he is the body, the awareness that has totally fallen off from him. He felt that he was a spirit all the time. This boy Shuka was sent to be taught by him. So at last Vyasa thought the education can be complete if my son can be in association with the King Janaka. Because he exemplifies the real state of that Jivan Mukti in the world, but not in it. That in other in our scriptures it has been spoken of like a lotus leaf. The lotus leaf is in the water, but the water can never drench it. The King Janaka is like that. So that's why Vyasa thought that the education will be complete if his son Shuka, who from birth itself was perfect, but just to test his perfection, Vyasa is sending him to King Janaka. So although a king, he had entirely forgotten that he was a body, he felt that he was a spirit all the time. This boy Shuka was sent to be taught by him. The king knew that Vyasa's son was coming to him to learn wisdom. So he made certain arrangements beforehand. And when the boy presented himself at the gates of the palace, the guards took no notice of him whatsoever. They only gave him a seat and he sat there for three days and nights, nobody speaking to him. Nobody asking him who he was or whence he was. He was the son of a great sage. His father was honored by the whole country and he himself was a most respectable person. Yet the low vulgar guards of the palace would take no notice of him. After that, Suddenly the ministers of the king and all the big officials came there and received him with the greatest honors. They conducted him, they conducted him in and showed him into the splendid rooms, gave him the most fragrant bath and wonderful dresses. And for eight days, they kept him there in all kinds of luxury. That solemnly serene face of Shuka <clears throat> did not change even to the smallest extent by the change in the treatment accorded to him. He was the same in the midst of this luxury as when waiting at the door. Then he was brought before the king. The king was on his throne, music was playing and the dancing and other amusements were going on. The king then gave him a cup of milk full to the brim and asked him to go seven times round the hall without spilling even a drop. The boy took the cup and proceeded in the midst of the music and the attraction of the beautiful faces. As desired by the king, seven times did he go round and not a drop of the milk was split. The boy's mind could not be attracted by anything in the world unless he allowed it to affect him. And when he brought the cup to the king, the king said to him, 
what your father has taught you and what you have learned yourself. I can only repeat, you have known the truth, go home. Such a wonderful story. There's nothing else has to be taught to you. You have the full control over your mind. When you are not treated good, well, when all are indifferent towards you, your serenity is in no way affected. When you get the best approbation of the king, of the ministers, so much of attention, the same serenity is there in your face. Nothing affects you. And in spite of all the temptations which are there, nothing can take you away from your focus. What else do you need in this life? With all our education at last, what we find? We think that it's our education that is going to give us job, give us prosperity, give us honor in life, stability in our job. But at last, with all our education, when we enter into the work field, at last we realize almost a minimal part of my education is required for my job. Nothing is required. All those things which I have learned. The thing which is going to keep me in my job, which is going to result in my promotion, which is going to create a goodwill for me in the workplace is the soft skills. How I behave with others, how much patient I am, how much I am an amiable person in a group and I can carry on the work as a group with all the people without allowing the ego to find its expression. Those are the things we all realize at last is the thing which gives us our desired goal. Since the 80% is the soft skills, only 20% is your hard skill that's required in any job you do in this world. The biggest problem is in the present education system that the entire education system is just to stuff my mind with the, all the informations, with the data, with calculations, and in no, there is no scope to actually inculcate those soft skills. And here we find there's education, what real education should be. Once you have been trained to control your mind, now everything else is at your own will. Whatever you want, you can acquire with a tremendous focus. Whatever situation you will be placed in, you don't lose your serenity. And that's the thing by which you can really that enjoy the bliss of existence. Your existence becomes the cause of joy for yourself as well as for the others. And that's the story Swami Vivekananda is saying before he concludes in a few more paragraphs. Now we will read uh, those paragraphs and just have a short discussion before we conclude this chapter. Thus the man that has practiced controlled over himself cannot be acted upon by anything outside. There is no more slavery for him. His mind has become free. Such a man alone is fit to live well in the world. We generally find men holding two opinions regarding the world. Some are pessimists and say, how horrible this world is, how wicked. 
Some others are optimists and say, how beautiful this world is, how wonderful. To those who have not controlled their own minds, the world is either full of evil or at the best a mixture of good and evil. This very world, this very world will become to us an optimistic world when we become masters of our own minds. Nothing will then work upon us as good or evil. We shall find everything to be in its proper place to be harmonious. This control over the mind. That alone can give us peace and prosperity, the real peace, real happiness. In the present world, you will find it is because of our lack of control over my own mind, lack of control over my own emotions, that, that life becomes wretchedly horrible. What actually is love? It's not mere emotion that we again and again say. It's the emotion guided by our will. As a human being, we have that faculty. Emotion is there even in animals. So the higher animals, they also have emotions. You can easily find it out. They also relate to you. If you have your pet dog, your pet cat, you will find they, how wonderfully relate to you with your emotions, wonderful emotions. But what's the difference between the so-called, the other beings and the human being that we can guide our emotions with our will at each and every stage of life that's what we are doing that when in a profession you are entering as a doctor you first take the oaths those oaths should guide your profession as a politician when with the full passion you are going to Think about the welfare of the society. Again, you have to take some oaths. Those oaths should guide your passion. As a sportsman, if you're taking part in the Olympics or any other game, first comes this resolution. In any game, it starts with the, a type of oath, a resolution. First, there will be the handshake with the two parties speaking that it is going to be a friendly match. We are not going to hurt each other. This, through this, the wonderful values will be actually projected. That's what we are doing in every field of life. And it's even in our marriage. That's the thing which is there. Why marriage ceremony is always celebrated. You never, uh, there, there is never a marriage Nowadays, of course, those registry marriages, even there, you have to have a witness. Otherwise, when you are doing it in a normal way, there's all the your relatives, friends, they're all invited. Why? Because, you know, in this life, oath taken in, other, in, in absence of others is no oath at all. There should be a witness. Otherwise, that oath doesn't get a strength. Who will know that whether you are keeping your oath or not? So whenever I have to take a resolution, I have to take a vow, it should be in the presence of others. And that's why we celebrate. Wherever there is any oath taking, there is a celebration where others are there and you cannot bring others, just I will take some vow and that's why I cannot invite others. So there has to be a celebration. There has to be feeding. There has to be party. <coughs> the main thing is 
I am going to take the oath in presence of others. There should be many witness. Why those oaths are taken? Again, the same thing. <clears throat> that I am going to take some resolution today. <clears throat> and all my emotions should be guided by those resolutions. If you cannot do that, in the present society, we find that if the emotions are not guided by our will, our life cannot be integrated. All the this family, if there's a family bonds are breaking, so much of misery, so much of sorrow, the children are suffering. It's only because our callousness that somehow we cannot keep our oath. When I came to Australia for the first time, by the side of the ocean or by the side of any river, if there is some fencing, I saw many locks. I never knew. I saw that for the first time. I asked the one who was the, my guide, another Swami, another Brahmachari actually he was, that what are these locks? And he told a very interesting thing that whenever a, this young boy, a young girl, they resolve to be married and stay together. So they will, that is called love lock or love padlock. They will lock. Uh, they, they will have, uh, have a locks uh, somewhere. They will uh, the key with the key. They will lock the lock. This lock is locked, and then the key is thrown in the water. There is no way that you can again open the lock. So our bond is going to be like that. The key is lost, and then the Swami added. But you know, Maharaj, most of these people will come next year to search the key. <laughs> so, so that's what that speaks us that our weakness as a human being, the main training hasn't happened. All our vows are just a show. It doesn't mean anything. And that's why we find there's so much of misery in the present world. What's the sign? What's the criteria of civilized society? The criteria of civilized society is how strong the laws are. With the strong laws, it's very good. One thing is assured, that is social security. It is assured. But does it assure your psychological well-being? <laughs> and that's why we find with all the social security, there's so much of this psychological cases. That's, that's why in Australia, we find that those who get the highest grades, they get the chance to study with, uh, along with the medical science psychology. It's only the highest because it's a very tremendous, very job, wonderful profession. As a psychologist, you can prosper because there is so many, so much of psychological cases here. Why? With all the social security that no social transformation can happen from top to bottom. The country, the nation with all its, what you say, this wonderful organization can give you wonderful laws. But can it really ensure your well-being, spiritual well-being, psychological well-being? No. What has happened there? Because the reformation was from outside, from top to bottom. It was not from the bottom to top. I have never trained myself to be a, the master of my mind. The mind is as, as if, you make, if you make your mind your master, as a master, it is the most tyrannical master. It can just 
make your life horrible if the mind is your master. It's the most tyrannical master. But it's the most obedient servant. If you can make it your servant. You can get no other obedient servant than your own mind if you have known how to control it. And that's why Swamiji is saying that all this evil is a mixture of good and evil or pure evil. The person who says the life is evil, actually you will find at last he has no control over his mind and he has no sense of responsibility. The word responsibility is a wonderful word. Response Responsibility, if you break, it becomes responsibility. You have developed the ability to respond to a situation in the desired way. Responsibility, as a human being, we can. We have no sense of responsibility. You go to the jail and just interview any of the so-called hardcore criminals. Most probably they are in detention for life. They won't be ever released. Invariably, you will find, you take an interview that what's the thing which is lacking? No sense of responsibility. The entire responsibility they have thrown on others. Like parrot, they will repeat as the others, as society has taught us, that for the condition in which I am, the entire society is responsible. <laughs> My parents are responsible. I was not brought up in a proper way. But in this society, you will find there are cases, in spite of abusive parents, that children have just turned out to be a wonderful, some, what do you say, the productive member of the society. How can I just say the external circumstances alone is responsible? It's not. The biggest mistake we make there, we have no control over the external circumstances, but the education should be such where it should be taught that we don't have control over the external circumstances, but we have control over my own mind. How I react to the situation, the entire education should be stressed on that. Otherwise, we can with all our social securities, we will be a total mental wreck. And that's what is happening with the society because all the reformation is from top to bottom. We never think of any reformation from within to without, from bottom to top. This is the, these are the words which are used in the modern sociology, that reformation should be from the bottom to top. And that's what Swamiji is speaking of here, that all the so-called happiness is there waiting for us if I know how to be the master of my own mind. Some men who begin by saying, that the world is a hell, often end by saying that it is a heaven when they succeed in the practice of self-control. If we are genuine karma yogis and wish to train ourselves to that attainment of this state, wherever we may begin, we are sure to end with perfect self-abnegation. And as soon as this seeming self has gone, the whole world, which at first appears to us to be filled with evil, will appear to be heaven itself and full of blessedness. All the spiritual transformations in all the religious traditions speak of that. You go through the spiritual transformation of the saint as the friend Francis of Assisi. It will speak of that. 
the life starts with just an ordinary being <clears throat> just fully uh, what do you say that engaged with the sensual pursuits of life and suddenly that transformation is coming where that complete self resignation self abnegation has happened completely resigning to the divine finding a purpose of life where the self has to be sacrificed for the welfare of all and you find a wonderful transformation no one wants to suffer in this apparent self abnegation from outside i feel that what's the fool he is why should he suffer why should he just keep his own interest secondary for the well being of others know it for certain in this world there is not even a fool not even a fool will do something to incur to to just instill pain in himself not a fool that from outside it may appear that he is as if okay, just giving pain to himself but know it for certain that there is an this joy which is not visible in indian tradition you know there is a river called phulgu that's the water the water is undercurrent you cannot see it from the water is flowing above it seems just like a sand just a sand bed but the water is flowing beneath so this undercurrent is there the real joy is always undercurrent when you see a smiling face when you go to a restaurant the waiter is there waiting for you smiling you go to the hotel there the receptionist is there know it for certain all the smiles are advertisement now it is we are taught in such a way that smile whatever you may be feeling you smile it's advertisement and sometimes when you are feeling an inner joy but you are looking very serene people start feeling you are an alien <laughs> as if you have came because you have not been taught in the way the entire world has been taught and they start feeling as if you cannot be related to but they forget that person was most probably that was the person with whom if you would have associated you would have known what real joy is this even the so called happiness has become a mere advertisement in the present world no to have that happiness which if the others cannot see you yourself experience in this life this is the biggest paradox the entire world is learning for running after happiness they don't get happiness and somehow mistakenly takes the path of self abnegation even unknowingly they take and they find the joy that's the only way we get joy in this life the moment you forget yourself and relate to others the ego boundary falls off the joy is bound to be experienced i have seen it myself in a residential school i was there for 12 years dealing with the students whenever we had celebrations we needed volunteers we had sufficient volunteers but still to give a test that of this joy by relating to others we used to involve the students in all those acts like when we have to serve some sort of thousands of people are there to whom we have to serve the food on some celebration and we need volunteers of course we had volunteers but there were some specific hours where we told that even we have volunteers the volunteers were discouraged to take part that you will take part after some time it begins with the students serving others say one hour or two hours and we used to prepare a roster <clears throat> and there used to be huge resentment among the students 
why we should be forced to this type of works. So we try to be as calm as possible and just go on insisting. No, you have to do it. Every year we experience that wonderful thing. The students start with the resentment and when their time is over after two hours, now say, now we go and say, now, now you stop, our volunteers will take over. They're not willing. In two hours, they have restarted getting that joy. Just they're serving others. And the tremendous joy, the thing which they never thought that they will, it is going to give them. And every year, the same thing happened. I was in welfare section. Every day, people will come for a small amount of money and go on pestering, go on pestering. And you ask them, why? Why you need money? Very interesting thing we found. Not a single person will say that I am hungry or I am sick. The cause of asking for money is my son is sick. I cannot feed my son. I cannot my, uh, feed my grandchildren. It's never their own hunger. It's never their own sickness for which they are seeking help. In this life, the only suffering is when you cannot give. We don't realize that. The suffering comes when you cannot, there is an urge for giving. When that you cannot do, that entails in suffering. Real happiness is always in relating out. And sometimes, we, what sometimes, most of the time, that's the maya. We don't realize. We are seeking our own happiness through the tintillation of the nerves in the form of all sorts of excitements, which the society has advertised that to make you fool and make me fool. And we are being fooled, but we think we are intelligent. Ramakrishna used to say, the crow thinks itself very intelligent, but at last it, you will find it is feeding only on filth. That's the hard word he's using, like crows. We think ourselves very intelligent, but we feed on filth, just on filth. And that's the thing the scripture is going to like a benevolent mother. The role of the mother is always benevolent. She always wants the welfare of the child. The scriptures are there like the mother. We may be babbling, we may be speaking all sorts of nonsense, but the scriptures will go on saying what actually is beneficial for us. And that's what Swamiji is doing here. That those, that we may start even in our life, that we are, that all, that this evil, that life appears to be full of evil. But when, the moment you will find by some way or other, the transformation is happening. You have started relating to the other's interest. You cannot live anymore. You're bound to get stuck up there. In this life, we say now this, you know, that we are so much afraid of this COVID infection. You see what's happening in India. We say it's extremely contagious. But there is a remedy. At last, there is a vaccination. You will find in another few months, the things will be under control. When I ask, again, we won't go to that topic. There are so many conspiracy theories and all. But at last, you will find when the death is inevitable, the one who is dying, someone has told that these vaccinations are of no use. You may at the beginning not go for it. But you know at what happens with us? At last, all will be vaccinated. Because even if you think that vaccination is of no use and a lot of conspiracy theories are against there, all will be vaccinated. Because when a person is dying, 
suppose he has is about to drown at that time there is the, all the judgment faculties will be, will just fail you are not going to judge anything even if a straw is floating you will just get hold of it so the vaccination at last like a straw we will all hold on to it all those conspiracies here is nothing will work know it for certain at last we all will be vaccinated this this we can avert this danger can go the human kind has developed that capacity through its science through take care of all these so called external struggles but another but one thing is there which is so contagious you can never get rid of it these are the perennial values which has been taught by all the spiritual masters of all the religious traditions with full compassion they are highly contagious you may re- you may remove them from your academic education you may remove them from your society they are extremely contagious <laughs> it somehow or other is going to permeate the entire society percolate the entire society to teach us what is the real good for us and and that at ultimately speaks if there's all those things actually ultimately speaks of what that self abnegation somehow to relate reach out through empathy that's the only plan of the entire universe and that's a karma yogi have realized and he has to be trained on those lines and then only the real happiness and can come along all the spiritual transformation in all the religions just as we were speaking of you read the life of valmiki from the rafen ratnakar he is getting converted into a saint valmiki read the life of angulimala in buddhism how by the tight touch of buddha a killer a robber a rafen is getting converted into a saint this life of angulimala is so important we are not going to go in details the one who is to kill others people were scared of him he himself became a buddhist monk and when someone recognized him that this is the one who was angulimala such a wonderful transformation came to him that he was beaten to death when he was about to die the only desire he had i want to say the i want to see the face of buddha nothing else that's what he was brought to the presence of buddha in his presence he was just and he was he told that it's not the fault of the people after all what they will do when they know that i am that old angulimala there is no resentment everything has fallen off he is dying it may appear that what a fool he doesn't know to defend himself the religion has made him something <clears throat> totally invertebrate but it is a terrible inner joy even in that suffering that i have mastered myself i forgive all i have no resentment for the world in that suffering the higher that that happiness that comes from that no such advertisement in the world in the form of all those luxuries can give you that no you know it for certain and that's the thing this swami ji is speaking of here that transformation brings out happiness read the life of tulasidas he was so attached to his wife wife went to his parents house for just few days and tulasidas just went there to see his wife the wife was so embarrassed he told that the attachment which you have for me just see you for, forgot all the social norms all are laughing that i just came for few days and you cannot stay without me and you are here in my parents house just to see me this same love if you had for god was probably you got liberation and for tulsidas his wife became the guru this single word of the wife transformed his life 
he really thought that yes what she tells is correct the same love if i had for god my life would be transformed and this tulasidas becomes a saint tulasidas his ramcharitamanas you just see has actually uh, uh, became the only religious scripture for almost half of india the it was the northern india after the throughout the days work the ordinary people the farmers the peasants they come the only resort is this ramcharitamanas that absorbed the entire society for hundreds of years and it's still there such a wonderful transformation came from just that single word from a totally self seeking person he is becoming a person who is there to deliver the entire humankind with his wonderful work the ramcharitamanas the saint tulasidas you just see the life of girish chandra ghosh jagai mahai everybody speaks of the same thing his most horrible wretched life getting transformed only by that self abnegation that's the only way that wonderful transformation can come but the world has not changed the world is the same world like the dog's curly tail which is never straightened it is we who get straightened and the way we get straightened is by that self abnegation and that how surrender come to the divine we forget just our own selfish ends and our life becomes as if a channel for the well-being of others and as soon as the seeming self has gone the whole world which at first appears to us to be filled with evil will appear to be heaven itself and full of blessedness its very atmosphere will be blessed every human face there will be god you don't have to search god up in the heavens every human face you will see the god in each and every being <clears throat> such is the end and aim of karma yoga and such is its perfection in practical life our various yogas do not conflict with each other each of them leads us to the same goal and makes us perfect only each has to be strenuously practiced the whole secret is in practicing so that's why religion is not a noun the word religion we think it as a noun it's only in all discussions it's only in in all our intellectual gymnastics it's in our doctrines and dogmas no it's a verb it's a verb it speaks of action the whole secret is in practicing religion has to be practiced first you have to hear then think and then practice this is true of every yoga here swami vivekananda is speaking of the concept of shravana manana nididhyasana first you have to hear and after hearing i have to hear with faith the faith is a very important factor in spiritual life not only in spiritual life you know or even day to day life when i am studying the science in my primary school it was taught that the matter and energy is interconvertible and with the einstein's equation it was taught that e is equal to mc square where c is the speed of light with a tremendous that energy is hidden as if in matter we were taught and we were told that it can be proven einstein has proven it but now as if primary student if you would have told just show me how it can be proven otherwise i won't believe i would have no education at all 
At that time, it was simple faith. Oh, Einstein is a big scientist. He told it cannot be a fault. It cannot be just simply wrong. And in my primary education with that faith, I took it to be a working principle. And only when I'm in the university, then the professor can show me through the reductions that how is equal to MC square through experiments, he can show it to me. So I have to have that Shraddha, this word is correct. That's why Swamiji used to say that superstition is everywhere. In what is the superstition that you say that when I say Vyasa tells something, has told something or Patanjali has told something, immediately we start doubting with a big question mark. But if I say Einstein has told and Newton has told, you take even without salt. Salt is not required. Just simply you will swallow it. Isn't it a superstition? That's a big question mark Swamiji is asking in one of the, in one of the lecture. So this what is required is faith. There is truth in these perennial values. After I hear so many things, I may not understand. But let me with full humility agree to the fact that those who are the propounder of this truth, they are the realized soul. They're not here to fool me for any reason. If the, anyone is fooling is the world. These persons are there out of compassion, coming down to relate the truth to us. Most probably I am not up to it. My intellect cannot comprehend it at present. Let me try to cogitate over it. Think over it. That's the manana. You go on cogitating over it. Try to relate to those worlds more and more. And with your experiences of life, you get mellowed, you get seasoned, and you find those words do have some value, do have some reason behind it. That the truth which was not apparently visible now starts being realized in your life. But that's also a mere intellectual understanding. It has to be made the be all and, your, and end all of your existence by internalizing them. Just to give an example, a drug addict knows very well that the drug is harming him or her. But the rational mind in no way affects the life. The life is, goes on as it is. You cannot get rid of the drug. It needs a vigorous willpower, willingness, and of course the help of others with giving him the proper environment in the, in the form of rehabilitation to bring him back from that. So that's the thing. Even if we understand, that doesn't mean that our life changes. After that, the nididhyas and the internalization, to really meditate on my conviction, to adopt ways so that that can be internalized, that becomes the be all and end all my existence. That's what speaks of transformation. So that's why Sravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. First you have to hear, then think, and then practice. This practice is Nididhyasana. This is true of every yoga. You have first to hear about it and understand what it is and many things which you do not understand will be made clear to you by constant hearing and thinking. It is hard to understand everything at once. The explanation of everything is after all in yourself. No one was ever really taught by another. Each of us has to teach himself. The experience of what you have heard with our own experience, we get seasoned by them. And gradually, if you will find the truth is revealing, 
that as we told that there is four phases of learning acharyat padamadhyat one fourth of the education comes from the teacher whoever it may be whether it's the parents or the student or the teacher what he is instructing it is just one fourth padam shishya samedhaya another one fourth through our intellect what the teacher says all the student don't understand in the same way as per our focus as per our intelligence another one fourth comes padam sabrahmacharya the next one fourth it comes through our discussions in the peer group in the school you will find the peer groups are there the discuss another one fourth idea comes through all those group discussions through exchanging of ideas other aspects gets clear the last one fourth is very important something remains which you can never get uh, the, uh, was clear comprehension immediately padam kalakramena cha it you have to get mellowed seasoned by the experiences of life in time so that's why this constant hearing and thinking it goes on it is understand to it is hard to understand everything at once kalakrama the explanation of everything is after all in yourself they are there experiences of life will clear the ignorance and the knowledge will be revealed which is already within me no one was ever really taught by another each of us has to teach himself the external teacher offers only the suggestion which arouses the internal teacher to work to understand things otherwise if it has not happened then as it has been uh, defined in one of the american journals education journal that what education is the so called our academic education where there is no attempt to internalize the values to realize those values in our life education is a process is a mysterious process where the notes enter from the notebook of the teacher to the notebook of the student without entering the head of either <laughs> so that's what our education system is it goes on that way unless it has entered it has mellowed your seasoned you your experiences this we have got seasoned by your experiences that education is of no use the external teacher offers only the suggestion which arouses the internal teacher to work to understand things then things will be made clearer to us by our own power of perception and thought and we shall realize them in our own souls and that realization will grow into the intense power of will this willing is important there are we all feel and sometimes we become too emotional with our feeling but what's the use if seeing others suffering i just cry does it help in alleviating the suffering no at last all our feeling should get converted into willing what's the cause of so much suffering in india sri swami vivekananda told 100 of years 100 years back that all our energy is expended out in feeling we don't have the power that he that the what you say that the intense power of willing that feeling never gets converted into willing we are all a mass of emotions with no power of will to execute that's the thing which is required that we have the our politicians and everything with all passionate lectures but at last when it comes to do something nothing is done 
They say that jokingly, it has been told that the Indian parliament house is round because all the discussions goes on round and round without any solution at last. So that's what is of no use with all your feeling, with all your intelligence at last, you have nothing that after discussing for two hours, at last you come to the decision that it cannot be done. Then for what actually you were discussing on all those things if it cannot be done. Most of the time we find that only the negativities come out when you do not have that power of will to execute. So all the feeling at last, that's just very intensive, the intense power of willing. At last, it should end up there. Feeling is, uh, is of no value if it is not getting transformed into that willing and doing. First, it is feeling, then it becomes willing. And out of that willing comes a tremendous force for work that will go through every vein and nerve and muscle until the whole mass of your body is changed into an instrument of the unselfish yoga work. Just Imagine this when Swamiji was saying these words with what tremendous inspiration, with what vision that unless these words are real, this vision has been realized by your life, these words actually have no value. That a person is giving away of his life by giving us a wonderful vision, a short life. This is a, a tremendous power. That's why Roma Rola, the French uh, Nobel laureate, when he was writing the, on the life of Swami Vivekananda, he himself had never seen Swamiji. He told that you cannot touch the complete works of Swami Vivekananda without feeling the thrill. And just think the, the those who were in his presence hearing his lecture, what transformations they were going through. Just what powerful these words are. That let's, let's read this line again. First it is filling, then it becomes willing. And out of that willing comes that tremendous force for work that will go through every vein and nerve and muscle until the whole mass of your body is changed into an instrument of the unselfish yoga of work and the desired result of perfect self-abdication and utter unselfishness is duly attained. This attainment does not depend on any dogma or doctrine or belief whether one is a Christian or Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. Are you unselfish? That is the question. If you are, you will be perfect without reading a single religious book, without going into a single church or temple. That's what it reminds us of the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Bible. It's not uh, uh, the so-called the priest. It's not the so-called, the priest who is considered as the good neighbor. It's the Samaritan as such who is a common person, but with a heart, who is there to help you out. It is the he who is considered by Jesus as the real neighbor, the love your neighbor. There's a real love for the neighbor. Those who have, you most of us have read that wonderful parable of the good Samaritan. And just relate these words. It's, that's what he's being told. This attainment does not depend on any dogma or doctrine or belief. Whether one is Christian or Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. Are you unselfish? That is the question. If you are, you will be perfect without reading a single religious book, without going into a single church or temple. Each one of our yogas is fitted to make man perfect 
even without the help of the others, because they have all the same goal in view. The yogas of work, of wisdom, and of devotion are all capable of serving as direct and independent means for the attainment of moksha. These words of Swamiji's are very significant. We generally have the idea that karma yoga is just for chitta shuddhi. But at last you need that jnana, the knowledge through which you can get liberation. Swami Vivekananda is asserting, you be an atheist. You need not have any belief in any God. Just have the heart. The heart which feels for others. The heart which at last from that feeling comes a tremendous will to do good for the others. You know it for certain. It is going to give you that ultimate liberation, the moksha. Nothing else is required. This tremendous assertion which we find in the words of Swamiji. Fools alone say that work and philosophy are different, not the learned. The learned know that though apparently different from each other, they at last lead to the same goal of human perfection. So with this, Swami Vivekananda aims this lecture. It's a wonderful lecture. This how the self-abrogation alone is the proof of any type of spiritual evolution, where you forget this petty self, this limited self, this selfishness, which is a disease state of our existence. Like any disease, where our awareness gets localized. When I have, when I have a headache, I feel only of my head. I forget about the entire body. The pain there is so much. My heart ache, my knee ache, localizes my consciousness. And that is disease. Disease, ease has gone. The more that consciousness becomes pervasive, so as to transcend the ego boundary, to, to involve everyone, to just embrace the entire existence as your own identity, then you know that you have come out of that disease state, the disease called worldliness. That's the biggest disease. No other disease is as deadly as this disease of worldliness. You have came out of that. And then alone, your, our life has served its purpose. Being born as a human being, that's the only purpose. This Swamiji is indicating again and again, with all the religious leaders indicating again, again, to realize that we are not this limited spatty self. We are the one which is one with the entire existence. And that way, the entire existence is the only reality, that non-dual reality with which I am one. That realization tells, entails the self-abnegation, which can come through jnana, which can come through bhakti, which can come through karma. And with this, Swamiji ends this lecture. So uh, next class, there are other two, another two chapters are remaining. We will take them up one by one before we complete the, uh, the study of Dharma Yoga. Thank you all. Namaskars.